Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. It's, it's rare on this show that we start out with the lighter topics first, but Joe Burrows, the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, put out a video about this. Uh, I'll, I'll get to it in a second. I, I think it's important we start with something lighter because today's a pretty heavy show. Uh, with the left, uh, also segregation is back. The pro- Wait, what? What did you? Say? Yeah, segregation's back again. I thought they were the progressives, or actually the regressives. And um, I warned you about something on this show a while ago. And now, again, you're not wasting your time here. It's all kind of play, uh, panning out exactly as we said it would. Today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. I protect my data with a VPN. So should you. Go to expressvpn.com/slash Bongino today. Don't wait. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Want to get right to it? Also, we were told what. No questioning elections. You question elections, it's the equivalent of treason. Hang them. Throw them in the gulag. Get a firing squad immediately. Don't you dare question elections. Strange. There's a pretty prominent Democrat doing exactly that. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. So small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. Comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three dollars to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers, and they're all made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com, and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. All right, Joseph, let's go, Daddy-O. And we're off, Dan. Yeah. (laughs) We are. Tuesday, it is Tuesday. I say that because it is the day following Monday. And uh, yesterday was a very busy news day. So we had to stack everything we didn't get in yesterday's show into today's show. That's how loaded up we are today. First, I don't usually start with this type of stuff, but I've had some issues with this, and many of you had as well. Let me ask you a question. Are we creating a vanity culture? A vanity culture. Have you dealt with any kids? I know. Joe has a, Joe has a very uh, heroic young son. He's well, relatively young compared to us old, old geezers right here. Yeah. But um, – are we creating a vanity culture? If you're raising 18, um, you've probably already answered that question. Like, hell to the... Uh, yeah, we are. All these kids do is take pictures of themselves all day. I never see anything like it. Yeah. Well, Joe Burrows, the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, he had this... I, I don't... You know, I'm, I'm not a huge NFL guy. Obviously, since the kneeling started, it's been an ongoing theme on my show. But they asked Burrows about this kind of like his vanity culture thing during this appearance he did on a, on a show, a podcast. And... Um, Here's what he had to say about these kids Instagramming their workouts all the time. This is great. Let's kids listen to Joe Burrows. Check this out. Focus on getting better. Focus on, you know, not don't don't have a workout and go and post it on Instagram the next day and then go and sit on your butt for four days and everyone thinks you're working hard, but you're really not. You know, work in silence. Don't don't show everybody what you're doing. You know, let your let your your game on Friday nights and Saturday nights and Sunday nights show all the hard work that you put in. Don't worry about and all that social media stuff. <laughs> you know, reminds me of, uh, was it, who was it who said, was it Walter Payton who said, when, you know, when, when, when you're good, you tell other people. When you're great, other people tell you. Was that, was that Payton who said that? 
<laughs> there's some dispute about that, but not if he said it or not, but about that theory. But um, listen, I just bring this up because if you've been in a gym anywhere in, the, in, in America in the last maybe 10 years, these kids, all they do is Instagram and video themselves working out. Now, I do locals videos from the gym. I do them between sets. That way, if anybody wants to use the equipment, they can go and use the equipment without having to worry about me trying to be Steven Spielberg filming Raiders of the Lost Ark in the gym. I was in the gym this past weekend. I go to this place. It's local here. And this poor woman's waiting for the famous pro squat machine we use. I was waiting for it too, but I gave up. And these two guys, they must have been about 16, 17. They look like football players or something like that. They weren't that big. They're squatting on a machine. They're there for an hour taking movies of themselves like they're doing Gone with the Freaking Wind. <laughs> Kids, just work out. You want to do a video? Do it after the set. Hey, look at me. I got to work out. Look, I'm really strong. Whatever. You do you. But get off the damn machine. Holy Moses, this poor woman I felt bad for. She came back like 10 times. These kids were there an hour on the machine. Take advice from Joe Burrows, okay? Work out in silence. You want to talk, do a video afterwards? I'm always sweating my butt off. You do you, but let other people work in, all right? This vanity culture is ridiculous. They got to take a selfie of everything. All right, enough. I'm sorry. I don't usually put that stuff in the beginning of the show, but after mean. my experience, in the, yes, yeah. I'm really annoyed by this. This vanity culture is ridiculous. Joe and I were lucky if you grew up and someone took a Polaroid of you once a year, right? You look a Polaroid. You'd shake it. Remember, you'd blow on it like it did anything. Look, here's a Polaroid. That was the best we had, kids. You don't need to selfie every second of your life. We're not. It's not a documentary, okay? Live your life a little bit. All right, moving on. Some controversy. I saw this. It's a story from uh, the end of last year, but it's getting some steam now. Ladies and gentlemen, segregation is back. I thought these were the progressives, meaning progress. Progress, meaning what? Meaning move forward, correct? That's what progress means. Regressive, move backwards. Progress, move forward. Now, Joe, um, unfortunately, I've had to ask you this question many times when it comes to dealing with liberals on the show. It's not a difficult question, and I am not setting you up for a trick. Joe, having, you're having a lot more life experience than me being a little bit older, well, would you say segregation is a bad thing or a good thing? If you need some time on that, nah, go right ahead. Segregation sucks. It's a bad thing. Segregation sucks. Okay, Gee, would you second that? Oh, yeah, Gee's not crazy about it either. Really bad idea. Segregation's back. Charter school for BIPOC students, which apparently stands for uh, black, what is it, uh, in indigenous and people of color. Uh, students opening in Portland, charter school, segregated charter school. I was told, and I, I'm pretty confident that what I was told was right, that segregation is a really bad thing. Now, I don't bring this up simply um, to poke fun. I, I bring this up because, folks, we are regressing, and it's a very serious topic. Um, the left is now embraced uh, regression, going back to mistakes we already made as a society and trying to repeat them, racism training and CRT segregation, uh, you know, uh, sending us back to the Stone Age with their war on energy, thinking we can exist off wind power that only blows when the wind is blowing. Also, one of the other things they're doing is going back to policies that have a 100% success rate of failing throughout human history, like inflation. The segregation story is indicative of a larger problem on the left. Uh, these people think like Neanderthals, folks. They want to move backwards. The great irony is that they call themselves progressives. It's obvious to anyone listening that segregating schools based on race was a bad thing. 
it is a bad thing. Now, I mean, this was once widely accepted amongst the sane class. No more, because we're not dealing with sane people anymore. And listen, Libs, don't try to frame this as anything other than it is, please. Well, it's not really segregation. No, no, no. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And we're going to call it out on this show every time. But they're not just regressing on race relations. They're regressing on this inflation phenomenon as well. I had warned you a long time ago about the perils of modern monetary theory. What is it? Modern monetary theory is a fancy buzz term on the left for pseudo-intellectuals who want to sound smart. It, it, here's what modern monetary theory really is. If we need something, the government should just print the money to get it. That's it. That's what it is. You can go through, through again, the euphemisms games and all the fancy word dances and the verbal judo. The hard reality is this woman, uh, Kelton, uh, Miss Kelton here, who they cover in this New York Times, has been pumping this modern monetary theory for a long time. Essentially, again, it's just printing money to buy stuff, okay? I had warned you. I had said, listen, this thing is a disaster. It's going to lead to inflation. Joe, you heard it. Gee, you heard it. We've yep. said it on the show a million times. You're not wasting your time here. Well, now the New York Times, realizing that this lady, uh, Kelton, Stephanie Kelton or something, that this lady is a disaster and that her modern monetary theory is leading to massive inflation, of course, feels the need, the New York Times, to do what the New York Times always does and try to run cover for her. So they put out this article that's getting a lot of attention. Is this what winning looks like? <laughs> it's just, it's just, so just to, hold on a second. <laughs> okay. I want you to follow this. Don't get lost in the terms like in the Wonka, modern monetary theory. I don't want to hear about that. This is all about printing money and what happens when it happens, okay? Me, a thousand other people on both sides of the aisle, but more prominent than me in the economic space, warn this woman, you can't just print money. That doesn't make sense. No, 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 we can do it. It's A-OK. The thing falls on its face in tragic fashion as inflation explodes. And the New York Times runs a cover piece trying to make this woman feel good with a headline called, is this what winning looks like? You mean like losing? Because that's what it looks like to me. Here, listen to this. This is from the piece. When Miss Kelton appeared in a Bloomberg podcast episode entitled How Modern Monetary Theory Won the Fiscal Policy Debate, in early 2021, inflation had bounced back to around 2%. But by a chilly January afternoon, as ducks flew over the frosty estuary outside Miss Kelton's house near Stony Brook University, where she teaches, inflation had rocketed up to 7%. The government's debt piles exploded to $30 trillion, up from $10 trillion at the start of the 2008 downturn, and $5 trillion in the mid-90s. Is that what winning looks like? It looks like losing to me if you're a leftist who says racism is bad. Let's segregate our schools. You know, everything's upside down. We're winning by uh, by pushing modern monetary theory. Inflation and the debt are out of control. Yeah, we call that winning. You do? How exactly do you do that? Folks, I've warned you about this stuff. That the printing of money, and I'm going to give you the best explanation I've seen in the Wall Street Journal coming up next was going to lead to massive inflation. Now, it was not just me. It was tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of other people, and at a minimum, hundreds, if not thousands of prominent economists on both sides of the aisle who said, if you print a lot of money and you don't have a lot of goods, more money is going to chase fewer goods. Liberals are like, really? They're like, <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Of course you didn't know that because you don't pay attention and you're regressive. Here's Larry Summers. 
Cue up that clip for me from CNN. Larry Summers. Why am I playing this clip of Larry Summers? Because Larry Summers is a Democrat. Larry Summers is so much a Democrat that Larry Summers was Bill Clinton's Treasury Secretary. How do I know that? Because I actually protected Larry Summers in my last line of work uh, a couple of times when Larry Summers, as the Treasury Secretary, visited Long Island, New York, and I was an agent out there. I wasn't on his detail. I was a field office agent who did the advance. He went to this, um, what do you call it? This golf course out there. I don't, I forget the name of it, near Eisenhower Park, I think, in Long Island. And uh, I remember because the, uh, the woman and I, the woman who was showing me around that day, we, had, uh, we went out that night and had a long conversation. That's the only reason I remember this whole freaking story about Larry Summers. Larry Summers was Clinton's Treasury Secretary. He's warning people. By the way, that lady, Miss, uh, Miss uh, Steph, what is it, Stephanie Keldon, goes to Stony Brook. Stony Brook, I went to Stony Brook for a year. I'm embarrassed this woman works there. Really, you should be too, Stony Brook. You need to fix that. Here's Larry Summers warning the left, a Democrat. Hey, we're printing a lot of money and not building a lot of goods. That might cause us an inflation problem. You should have listened to Larry S. Check this out. Given that you were worried about this before almost anybody else, uh, and given that now you've got all these CEOs saying it's going to go a year, maybe even past that, right? At that point, it wouldn't be transitory. How long do you think inflation is going to go up? I think the odds are that we're going to have inflation of a kind we haven't seen in 30 years until either the Fed takes some significant move with respect to monetary policy or until there's some kind of accident. So just to be clear, that hit was from months ago. He warned everyone pushing this ridiculosity of a theory, this modern monetary theory, that the printing of money in a, in a supply-constrained economy was going to cause inflation. Larry Summers has now been proven right. Miss Kelton from Stony Brook has been proven wrong. Why do I bring this up? Because this story is so indicative, not only of the regression on the left into, uh, into repeating mistakes, history's already shown us our mistakes, segregation, inflation, whatever it may be, but when the left is called out on their mistakes, rather than admitting they made a mistake and moving on, they go to their identity politics playbook. You guessed it, Larry Summers, for criticizing these people, for criticizing Kelton and others, who is a woman, obviously, is being accused of what? You guessed it, misogyny. Yes, misogyny. For the New York Times article and critiquing the New York Times article, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot make it up. This is why you never apologize to these idiots. Ever. Now, the Wall Street Journal has a spectacular explanation in a rather lengthy article by Phil Graham and Mike Solano, do good work over there. It's a lengthy article about the modern supply side economics that Janet Yellen's been pushing, which is not supply side economics at all. But in there, he offers the best explanation of how we got to where we are in this inflationary environment now. It is very simple math, folks. It's not hard. And how these modern monetary theorists miss this thing really should make you question their intelligence. I want you to listen to every word of this. They say, quote, this inflation has been driven by an explosion of federal spending, which was set to average 20% of GDP in 2020 and 2021. Instead, it doubled to 40% of GDP in a 12-month period as pandemic spending exploded. The stimulus bills did more than fill the gap in aggregate demand. Spending surged as the pandemic shutdown reduced employment and production 
during that period by an average of 7%. Here it is. Listen to this. Textbook case, folks. In this textbook case of inflation, $1.20 in income began chasing 93 cents of goods and services, a process greased by expansive monetary policy, and that mismatch sent inflation to a 40-year high. Print more money, have less goods. More money chasing fewer goods, meaning fewer goods fetches more money. Is this hard? I'm really sorry to the sane people listening to this today on my show. They, they, I, I'm really not, I, I'm desperately trying to never waste your time, but I warned you months ago about the cancer of modern monetary theory. And even when they are proven absolutely categorically wrong, what do they do? Hey, we're wrong. We're going to move on. Nope, 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 nope. They say the verdict is in. You're a misogynist for questioning uh, uh, Professor Kelton or whatever. <laughs> can't make this crap up, man. You can't. There's a great explanation, by the way, of what history has taught us about inflation, just like history has taught us about the scourge of segregation and racialized politics. But inflation, history has taught us lessons about that, too. Argentina, the Weimar Republic, the answer, the, 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 uh, the, the 19, late 70s, early 80s in the United States, Russia. And inflation's happened all over the world when more money chases fewer objects. But the 1970s in Japan, Milton Friedman has a great segment on that, where he shows an example of exactly what happened and why Japan is such a devastating example. And you'd think our, our, uh, these serious policy people now would pay attention to this stuff. They won't. Before I get to that, let me get to my second sponsor. I'm going to show you this video of Milton Friedman. Listen to every second of it. It explains exactly what's going on. With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. Here's Friedman, Milton Friedman, who always explains things so eloquently, explaining how inflation is a delayed response. Ladies and gentlemen, when you print a lot of money like the United States government did last year and the year before, and candidly, the year before that too, it takes a little while before the money makes it into the economy to cause inflation. The inflationary response is delayed. But what's the problem with that? The problem with that, ladies and gentlemen, is it also takes a while to suck the money back out of the economy. Meaning no matter what you do for inflation right now, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. You doubt me? Listen to Friedman explain again what happened in Japan. Check this out. In 1973, Japanese housewives going to market were faced with an unpleasant fact. The cash in their purses seemed to be losing its value. Prices were starting to soar as the awful story of inflation began to unfold once again. The Japanese government knew what to do. What's more, they were prepared to do it. When it was all over, economists were able to record precisely what had happened. In 1971, the quantity of money started to grow more rapidly. As always happens, inflation wasn't affected for a time. But by late 1972, it started to respond. In early 73, the government reacted. It started to cut monetary growth, but inflation continued to soar for a time. 
The delayed reaction made 1973 a very tough year of recession. Inflation tumbled only when the government demonstrated its determination to keep monetary growth in check. It took five years to squeeze inflation out of the system. Japan had attained relative stability. Unfortunately, there's no way to avoid the difficult road the Japanese had to follow before they could have both low inflation and a healthy economy. First, they had to live through a recession until slow monetary growth had its delayed effect on inflation. February 8th, Tuesday. Why do I say that? Market, Joe, day in your long list. You Flag watch it. what's going to happen. I wish. <laughs> I, um, I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I genuinely, sincerely hope I'm wrong. Took the Japanese uh, five years to squeeze all that money out of the economy and get some semblance of value back to their currency. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just the beginning. Nobody in human history has printed as much money as we did. What can we do? Start hedging your bets now, folks. I'm not a financial advisor. You have to talk to your financial advisor about what to do. I can tell you what I do. I invest in assets, land, gold, comic books, <laughs> what I'm telling you, whatever I can. So those assets are tied to the inflation. So as the, inflation, the inflationary number goes up, those assets go up too. The only way your paper money is uh, the value of it's going down every day. And it's going to take us years to fix this. I wish that were an exaggeration, but it's not. And there's no one better at Friedman than explaining it. All right, folks, it's that time of the show every, uh, pretty much every day now where we have to do a principles check. Principles check because we don't have any problem with principles checks on the right, right? We have principles. Economic freedom, school choice, healthcare freedom. Second Amendment, right to self-defense, protecting life. These aren't principles we waver on because they're principles. And that's the whole idea of principles. So we were told by the left that they have principles too, which is kind of hilarious. And the left said to us, you can't question elections. Questioning elections is the equivalent of treason. You're contributing to the downfall of the Constitutional Republic. And we were like, wait, 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 wait. We played multiple videos on this show of you all on the left questioning pretty much every election you lost in my lifetime, and I'm 47 years old. Questioning the Bush v. Gore election, questioning the 2016 election, questioning the Georgia gubernatorial election, that yeah, Stacey Abrams lost to Brian Kemp. We were all on video doing that. Like, it's all digitized. We can all see it. So the, uh, showing you again, the left has no dignity and no principles at all. They told you, don't you dare question 2020, to which you should promptly give them the double-barreled, family-friendly middle finger, family-friendly middle finger, which hasn't appeared on the show in a while, right? And tell them, I will speak about whatever I want to speak about because I am a free American citizen, and you can take your lips and plant them on my arse because I will talk about whatever I want. Showing you they don't believe any of this at all. Question elections. Again, liberal principle. You don't dare question elections. There's about 75 appendices to that. Appendix uh, number 76.2, subsection B2.1 is unless you're a former Democrat president, there you go. Then you could question whatever you want. Here, Politico, Sarah Camerata, Jimmy Carter, who was one of the worst presidents in our lifetime until uh, President Obama and Biden came around, says a full investigation would show Trump lost in 2016. Sorry, folks. I can't take it. I'll read you the quote here. I just. 
Don't you dare question elections, Jimmy Carter. You better question 2016. He says, this is Jimmy Carter. I think a full investigation would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election. And he was put into office because the Russians interfered on his behalf. The former president, who served between 1977 and 1981, set at a panel hosted at the Carter Center in Leesburg, Virginia. Again, folks, this is an example. Now, this happened a little while ago, but this is an example, again, of the left having no principles at all. I'm bringing this up because a lot of my friends now who are being attacked brutally for their, uh, their you know, roles, air quotes, in questioning what happened in 2020. And now many who've been, uh, who've been vindicated, given the Pennsylvania court ruling about what happened in the, uh, with the Pennsylvania mail-in ballots and the uh, suppression of the Hunter Biden story, are being attacked. But again, Nothing will happen to, you know, to Jimmy Carter. Yeah, the story's a little older, but you see my point here. This principles check matters, especially as they double down now and they're trying to relitigate all of this stuff and attack people in 2020. It's just a disgrace, folks. Uh, it, it, there's no principles on the left at all. You can see it. It's right in front of your face, like kicking you in the teeth. All right. Speaking of which, we have this problem now on the left and on the sellout right. One of those sellouts on the right is a guy by the name of Max Boot. Ladies and gentlemen, they want you to believe that they should be the gatekeepers to the truth. Now, the problem with anointing gatekeepers to truth is what Thomas Sowell discusses in his book, Vision of the Anointed. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. If I ever put together a book list, this will be one of the top two or three pieces. The book changed my life. I read it over a few midnights on a post at the White House, and I really, I'm not kidding when I tell you, it looked at the world differently afterwards. It's an older book, but Thomas Sowell nails the difference between us and the left. They have this idea that they should be the anointed ones. And that if smart people, smart people by their definition, not by yours, if smart people were to take control and custody of the decision-making apparatus in society, society would be perfectible. Well, uh, we could fix all the problems. We could fix poverty, healthcare disparities, educational disparities. And that the issue here is democracy. Democracy gets in the way. Are you all, I hope I don't want to get ahead of you, but democracy gets in the way because you, the great unwashed, the smellies are too stupid to know what's better for you. And if you would just surrender your sovereignty and your freedom and subjugate yourself to these anointed genius gatekeepers, the world would be a perfectible, better place. We've tried that. It's called communism. It's led to starvation and hundreds of millions of dead. Why? Because there's an information disparity, right? The idea that a small collective group of people who are supposedly smarter than you can make decisions about your life, despite the fact they know nothing at all about your life, is ridiculous on its face. How would they know about your health care issues if they have no idea what your health care background is? Have you asked? They can have a PhD in seven different topics. They have no idea about you, your, your health complications, your health problems, nothing. There's an information asymmetry there. That's why socialism and collectivism never works. Now, Max Boot, who uh, used to claim to align with the Republican side, who's one of the biggest fraud, by the way, with the hat thing on the, look at this guy's Twitter, with the hat thing, I mean, the fedora, listen, man, <laughs> I, if you really, I'm sorry, Max, but this is embarrassing. It's like you're really trying too hard. Look at this, thank you. Is that going, does that, that zoom in go on the thing? Look at this guy in his Twitter feed. I mean, it's embarrassing, dude. <laughs> Put, take the You look like a dunce, okay? You look like you're really trying too hard. This is Max Boot. Again, used to claim to be on the Republican side of the aisle. He says, 
giving people what they want, talking about podcasts and like the free exchange of ideas, giving people what they want may be good business, but it's not necessarily good for society. He's talking about Rogan, basically. That's why the lack of gatekeepers is a big problem. So Max Boot, to be clear, discredited hack, wants to anoint himself, vision of the anointed. He wants to anoint himself or others, people he approves of as one of societal gatekeepers, society's gatekeepers. To, so you can, you can have basically through, through like a sieve, a filtering sieve, information that he deems is correct. Now, here's the problem with things like that, besides the obvious that Max Boot wears a fedora to try to pretend he's something he's not, which is a cool guy. He's actually a loser. Um, check this out. Here's Max Boot, the Denver Post from 2019. Max Boot, collusion case against Trump just got a lot stronger. <laughs> so Max Boot is a pee-pee hoaxer. Yes, Max Boot believes in the pee-pee tape. Pee-pee, pee-pee time for Max Boot. That's him. Apparently fell for the dumbest scam we've ever seen in American history. The idea that Trump, who is a germaphobe, got peed on in a Russian hotel room and there's a tape of it, which magically no one's ever seen. And Max Boot, who wants to be one of these societal gatekeepers of information, fell for that while wearing his fedora. But yes, he wants to make sure the information that you get is filtered through him first because he wants to be one of those gatekeepers. You want to talk about information asymmetries? Max Boot has no idea, couldn't even tell you that the pee-pee tape was false. And he wants to be one of your guys. All right, I got a tech update coming up in a minute, uh, and a preview coming up of a Fox Nation special I have. I think you're really going to like. We've been working really hard on it. Okay, uh, I have this a little tech update block for you. So a major story broke yesterday. Some of you uh, were asking me, Dan, how come you didn't discuss this on your podcast? Well, our podcast wraps recording earlier in the morning. Obviously, the radio show goes live at 12 noon Eastern, and the story hadn't broke yet. So uh, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. You know I am an equity holder, one of the owners of Rumble. Rumble offers Joe Rogan $100 million over four years to bring his podcast to the platform. This is at the great site Reclaim the Net, an article by Tom Parker from yesterday. You can read it in the newsletter today, bongino.com slash newsletter if you'd like. Folks, we're not kidding around. Rumble is in this to win this free speech fight. Um, this is not simply a business decision. It's a decision based on principle. I don't know if the finances of that deal would, would be uh, great or I don't know. I, 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 all I can tell you is it's a stand by Rumble and a decision made by its CEO, Chris Pavlovsky, that, listen, man, we are absolutely in this fight and we are willing to put our money where our mouth is. So thank you to Rumble for doing that, for making that offer. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm assuming Joe Rogan's probably, uh, you know, got a lot going on right now. But uh, $100 million over four years. I'm proud uh, to be a part of this company. I told you that this free speech fight, that there's going to be two sides to pick. And I am convinced, listen to me, convinced that in the end, that this country full of entrepreneurs and freedom-loving people, that the beach ball of freedom can't be held underwater forever. People are getting tired of this stuff. The suppression online, the censorship online, and they are not going to sit back and take it anymore. You're seeing the rebellion brewing right now against mandates and this tyranny. Here's uh, another story from Reclaim the Net and our tech update showing you what I need you to get away from. Ladies and gentlemen, get away from Google as quickly as you can. We are trying 
We are working on it. There, we, I, I'm, listen, I'm never going to spin your wheels. Google is in our lives in so many different ways. Even Paula and I, Paula, who is the smartest tech person I have ever met. We are feverishly working to excise the cancerous Google from our lives. It's in everything. Calendars, drives, ad services, everything. Search engines, obviously. It's not easy. Email. Google is a, a threat to this country's freedom and liberty. It is the single most dangerous company in the country today. I've eliminated them from Google ads. They're banned from my platforms now. They've been kicked off my platforms. I left YouTube to get away from them. Read this story in case you think, again, I'm being dramatic about the danger Google presents to freedom and liberty and to this country. So there was this user out there. uh, uh, This is another article by Tom Parker, Reclaim the Net. Let me read the headline. Google Drive flags and restricts. Google Drive flags and restricts a user's screenshot of Quentin Tarantino's movie, Inglorious Bastards. Wait, 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 wait. Use Google. What's that? A private, yeah, private screenshot. So just so you, if you use Google Drive, it's basically a storage system. You can score do, sure documents up and people can share them, right? I've used it in the past too. I used it once for a call screener years ago when I was filling in on a show up in Baltimore, Maryland. Google Drive, they, 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 they restricted a user's private screenshot and it featured a basically a still from the movie Inglorious Bastards that had a a swastika in it because the movie is about a plot to kill Hitler. It's not, no, they weren't, this was not some white supremacist group. It was a screenshot from a movie. There's a screenshot from the user who claims that this is a, this was sent, your file violates Google Drive's terms of service. Ladies and gentlemen, they're scanning what goes on their drive stuff now. Folks, get away from these people as soon as you can. Excise them from your life. Their calendars, their maps, their mail system. I know it's not easy. It's been hard for me. There's still things we are working on now. The transition has been difficult. What's the other one Paula's trying to get away from now? Google uh, business or whatever it is with the email. It's, folks, they're everywhere. But I've got news for you. You can get rid of them. Delete their apps. Get rid of this company. They are a threat to your freedom. They are a threat to your liberty. Get rid of this company. Scanning your documents and drive now. (laughs) Read the story. Reclaim the net. It's in my newsletter today. Bongino.com slash newsletter. I encourage you to subscribe to the newsletter. It's free. And it's one of the few ways I know I can communicate with you directly. I don't know how much longer in this censorship loving environment we're going to be able to do that. All right, folks, we were right again. Uh, I want, again, I want you to think we are wasting your time here. It's not a celebratory show today, but we warned you about modern mon- monetary theory. We also warned you that the science on masks was non-existent, that there was no science on masking, that the science on masking was limited at best, that it showed a maybe, maybe, uh, and, and being modest about the modesty, small but relatively insignificant effect on the transmission side if you wore a mask, if you were sick, but almost no effect at all on the contracting side, the contract, if you were going to contract the virus, the mask is not going to protect you in other words. So now here's a leftist on CNN, Dr. Leanna Wen, former Planned Parenthood executive over there, 
admitting what we had basically said all along, that, hey, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Why are they admitting this? Because the polls are changing now. People are starting to realize they stuck their kids in face diapers this whole time for nothing. And Leanna went admits that, yeah, certain types of masks, maybe like a KN95 properly fitted, which is rare and super uncomfortable and totally impractical, may protect some people. And if it does and you want to wear it, do it. But if other people don't want to wear it, it's not going to affect you. That sounds strange, Joe. Sounds like something we said a little while ago, right? What did we yeah. say from the beginning, Armacost? You want to wear a mask? Wear a mask. Yeah. If you think masks work, why do you need me to wear a mask? I don't understand. That's right. right. Here's Leanna Wen saying the exact same thing just two years too late. Check this out. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. And we also know about one way masking, the idea that even if other people around you are not wearing masks, if you wear a high quality mask, that also protects you, the wearer too. And so in this case, I'm not saying, I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks, but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district of the school. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family who can still decide that, that their child can wear a mask if needed. Keep in mind, Google banned us from YouTube for saying pretty much exactly that. It's a personal decision, limited efficacy. By the way, she said something there, Guy pointed out, that's totally wrong. The vaccines have not shown right. protective capabilities against transmission for Omicron. You caught that too, Joe? Yeah, that's totally inaccurate. But you notice how this is now two years too late. We were saying the same thing and we were banned from YouTube for saying it. You don't think that's a little strange? Why are they doing it? Oh, damn, because the science evolved. The science didn't evolve. I'm sorry, I'm not... <laughs> The science has not evolved, folks. There was never science to back up these assertions that there was going to be a significant effect from wearing cloth and surgical masks. There was never any science saying that, ever. Nothing's changed. What's changed is the politics. That's what's changed. People are pissed off. They've been told things, lockdowns and masking and vaccines. None of them have panned out like you said. None of them. The polls have changed. You need more proof? Here's the, one of the worst governors in the country, and Gee said it right this morning. How this guy is not on the receiving end of more criticism, I have no idea. He is easily one of the worst governors in the country. Death rates from corona through the roof, a faltering economy, a state drowning in debt, this clown, Phil Murphy, you know, with his mandates and his nonsense, has got to be one of the dumbest people in the gubernatorial mansions anywhere in the country. Remember his appearance on Tucker Carlson? The Bill of Rights is over my pay grade. What? You're the governor of a major northeastern state and you don't understand the Bill of Rights? Here's Phil Murphy, you know, even on CNN. Tapper asked him a question. Jake's like, hey, do you have any science? He goes on this. Before, I didn't want to play the whole thing, Joe saw it, but before it, he goes on this whole big thing about how masks were super effective and they worked really well. And Tapper's like, well, if they worked really well, can you produce any science? That This is the governor, folks, the governor. Any data? Watch him say, well, no, not really. 
but I'm pretty sure other health people have it or whatever. Dumbest, one of the dumbest governors in the country. Listen to this dunce. Have you seen data that definitively proves that these mask mandates uh, have worked? Uh, I, I mean, the numbers you just presented are impressive, but are they different from the numbers in states where they didn't have mask mandates? Yeah, again, I know Jersey Jake the best, but I'm, I'm highly confident and I'm sure our health officials uh, will, will, could say it definitively. There's no question they've worked. There's no question getting vaccinated, getting boosted and wearing masks indoors have all been positive health, public health steps compared to the absence of any of those things in the alternative. My gosh, what other space? What other space in our society, the workspace, the military space, the law enforcement space, the intelligence space, what other space in our society are you allowed to do things that affect tens of millions of people, right? Well, in his case, less than tens of millions, but you get it. Millions of people. And produce no evidence whatsoever that it works. Do you hear what he said there? There's no question masking work. Can you produce studies? No, I can't. We're going to put a couple billion dollars into a new computer enterprise at this company, uh, whatever, Apple BM. Oh, we are? Uh, great, Mr. CEO. Can you produce some data or spreadsheets showing us this will be a profitable enterprise? No, no, I can't. But there's no question it'll work. Oh, okay. Where would that happen? The answer is only in government, where there is no accountability for stupid. All right, let me get to my next sponsor. And I want to show you a real governor, Ron DeSantis, who is right, of course, again on masks and just taking it to these idiots, proving how hypocritical and dopey, sadly, they all are. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here is another episode of uh, Ron DeSantis Strikes Again. There's two days in a row. We, we went a while without a Ron DeSantis Strikes Again. Here is Ron DeSantis yesterday, unlike Phil Murphy, who understood the paucity of data on the efficacy of masks for a long time and therefore said, hey, we're not going to mandate something we can't show works because we're going to be humble about what we know in this information asymmetry environment. Uh, here's DeSantis explaining how that actually works while Phil Murphy couldn't explain a damn thing. Here's a real governor. Check this out. With COVID, they actually will impose more stringent policies on Americans than people coming across the border illegally. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But I guess what would you expect? I mean, you have a lot of these politicians, you know, they want all these kids forced mask in school, which we don't allow in Florida. But and then they'll take pictures of all these poor kids, you know, suffering, and they're just beaming and smiling with no mask on. I mean, it's just unbelievable what you're seeing um, across. But that's the thing. I mean, this is these policies are just about control. They want to do certain things to control the Americans. But then if it doesn't suit them, they let people come in. No requirements of vax, no requirements of any of this other stuff. I mean, it just shows you that this is all political. What a contrast. Real leadership right there. Real, authentic leadership. Joe, what have we been saying for seven years now? This is never about science. It's never about economics. It's never about healthcare. It's about what? It's about control. control. It, it became a running joke with Joe and I early in the show. Yes. Joe, what's it about? Control. control. What's it about? It's, oh, Ron DeSantis nails it. This never had anything to do with the science of masks because there never was any science for masks. The governor of New Jersey can't point to one damn thing. One thing. Just give us one data point. A little humility in government go a long way. Thanks to Ron DeSantis. Hey, I don't know if they listen to my show, by the way, the IRS or the federal government. <laughs> I'm not sure, but <laughs> remember yesterday's show? Did you miss it? If you missed this story, you got to watch yesterday's show. The IRS was considering using 
geolocated tagged face ID as an identifier for you to access your IRS tax record. As Guy said yesterday, my gosh, what could possibly go wrong? They'd have your geolocation, where you were, your facial identification being used as a, which could be used to what? Access anything, right? Phones, any stuff that uses your face, right? Yeah, that's a really bad idea. And to be fair, it was bipartisan. Even some Democrats, again, to do actual reporting, were like, hey, this is a stupid idea. I think Ron Wyden, who I don't like and I rarely agree with, but who sometimes, sometimes on the privacy issues on the right side, but I believe he was like, listen, this is just stupid. Here it is, folks. Maybe they listen to the show, Wall Street Journal. IRS retreats from facial recognition to verify taxpayers' identities. Yeah, yeah, kind of a, <laughs> kind of a good move there, fellas. I think, uh, like I said, maybe they had my show blaring yesterday in IRS headquarters. I doubt it. I don't give myself that much. Oh, look, here's my commercial for canceled in the USA on Fox Nation right now. More on that in a second. I will tease that. I just wanted to get to this last story from the Daily Caller, um, showing you again how, folks, once we walk down this censorship path, and censorship is regression. It's regressive. It is not progressive. The theme of today's show has been walking backwards, not walking forward, how the left is doing that. Segregation, racism, all things that are scourges on our population the left wants to return to. Inflation, you know, Stone Age type uh, energy technology, censorship. These are all things history has shown us to be scourges. The left wants a regressive environment, not a progressive one. They're doing a 180 on the term. It's 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 their weaponizing language again. Here's an article in the Daily Caller where some people, I don't know this guy's politics and I don't care. But he's, from what I hear, he's, I, I don't listen to this guy. I'm not trying to pretend I don't know him like that Mariah Carey, Giffy, J-Lo. I don't know her. I genuinely, I've heard of the guy, but I don't know anything about him. Some guy, T-Pain, who's apparently a pretty prominent musician, spoke out yesterday. And he said, listen, if Spotify cancels Joe Rogan, you'll see the article in the Daily Caller, the company will have to cancel all its offensive content. Now, again, are these people listening to my show? What did we discuss yesterday? Folks, rap lyrics. Rap lyrics. Some of them are pretty disgusting. Killing the police, talking about mother blanking this and N-word that and B-A hoes and all this other stuff. Offensive stuff. Now, again, so I have a set of guiding principles that you and I clearly understand. I don't want this stuff censored. I ask my kid not to listen to it because I don't like it. I don't want it censored. Censorship is a dangerous road. I'm not a regressive leftist. But now they must have, again, listened to yesterday's show. Here's T-Pain saying, hey, listen, fellas, we start censoring Rogan for this language. All of us are going to be in trouble, too. Here's what T-Pain said. You can read it all in the Daily Caller. Quote, they're not worried what the F we say. If that was the case, they'd take all the hit, we'll say, we talk about killing each other and all that hit. If they want, you get, you get the point, right? If they want to take off the derogatory terms for African-Americans, they got to take off all the derogatory hit that we say. They got to take everything off. T-Pain explained in a video to TMZ. He's right, folks. You don't have to agree with the stuff. I think the lyrics are disgusting. I think they teach our kids really a poor set of values. I listened to it growing up. I'm not above it. You know, sometimes I listen to it now. I'm not above it. I try not to. 
but I hear it sometimes. I don't turn it off immediately, but I don't want them censored. Finally, some people are waking up. All right, uh, I have a new special out on Fox Nation. I'd really appreciate it if uh, you'd subscribe and check it out. You can also watch my radio show there every day, the video, 12 to 3. I haven't mentioned that in a while, so I really appreciate that. But I have a new show. We're putting a lot of work out on it, uh, a lot of work into it, excuse me. We did one of them about six, seven months ago called Canceled in the USA. I hosted it on Fox Nation. The show was a runaway hit. So because it was so successful, thanks to you, we did round two. The stories in the, in the series are fascinating. Uh, a lot of them involve things about COVID censorship. Dr. Peter McCullough, who I had on Unfiltered this past week, appears in the show. He tells his story. Folks, the censorship that's gone on in the name of, of COVID and elsewhere is so disturbing. I, episode one is out there right now. You can check it out on Fox Nations, Canceled in the USA, part two by me. Here's a little preview of what I've been doing after hours, why I've been so uh, sometimes tired in the Check this out. Cancel culture. It has no boundaries. Dan is back for season two. If you think we're going to let the far left win, you're wrong. We won't stop telling these stories. I mean, we won't let them win. Canceled in the USA. Season two. All this week, only on Fox Nation. I hope you check it out, folks. It's a really good special. The stories are amazing. Dr. McCullough's story. This, uh, this guy, Rossi, from a school in Manhattan, what happened to him? It's really, really good. And I hope you'll take the time. Canceled in the USA, part two, available on Fox Nation. It's there now if you want to go check it out. So I really appreciate that. Thanks a lot. And thank you for all, all of the people who sent a message on my Rumble account. We are now up to 90,000, 90,000 new subscribers on my Rumble account, rumble.com slash Bongino. Thank you for all your support in this fight for speech, free speech and against censorship. I'll see you on the radio show a little later. You just heard Dan Bongino.